Our scripture reference this morning will come from the book of Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 20 through 23. And I hope you're enjoying your Labor Day holiday. Yes, when we think about that, ceasing from work and, to, and thanking God for the labors that we have. And I'd like to just kind of speak a little bit about that today as we look at Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 20 through 23. And the title of the message today is The Work of the Disciples. Have you ever entered into a job? And you know they have what's called a job description, right? And you read that job description, and you, and you may have said, that kind of fits in line what I think I can do. And then you get into that job, they, they welcome you in, and then you start working and realize that it's not exactly what you thought it would be. I think all of us can identify with that a little bit. And so I believe that God and Jesus Christ and his wisdom is so desires that we know the work that we've been called to, the work of a disciple. Because as we think about that word disciple, it means follower of Christ. Uh, and so as we've talked over the last several, week, several weeks, how God put in a divine plan to bring about the salvation of the whole world. And so he sent his very best. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins and my sins, that he would be the anointed one that he would be the very one that, as God called, who shall I send? Jesus Christ says, send I, send me, I'll go. And that he stepped into the work that God called him to, that he fully stepped into being that perpetuation for us, for our sins. And so as Jesus Christ understood the work that he was called to, it's so important that we understand the work that we are called to. And so would you read with me Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 20 through 23? And it says this, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. The work of disciples. As we take a moment to get a little bit of the backdrop or the setting of what's going on here, what's happening, we understand that Jesus is starting his ministry, that he had just allowed himself to be anointed by God, and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and he stepped out of the water, allowed himself to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights, and then he went into the synagogue and shared Isaiah 61 with them. And he reminded them that today these words have been fulfilled. That he was going to heal the brokenhearted. That he was going to set the captive free. That he was going to bring liberty to them that was bruised. And so Jesus was doing this divine, perfect work. And so we come to chapter 6. 
Jesus had already called his disciples and they had seen the work that he was doing. And so we know that it, like we talked about last week, he said, come and follow me. That they didn't choose him, he chose them. Because he loved them so much that he chose them, that he called them out by name. And I want you to know that God loves you so much that he calls you by name. And that he would never leave you or forsake you. That he is such a good and wonderful God that he loves you with an unending love. And so last week we saw that Jesus was gathering his disciples and he was inviting them to follow him. Without many direct words to them, they could see by his preaching, they could see by his healing and his signs of wonders that Jesus was different than any other that he cared for people, that he cared so much that he was willing to give all of himself. And so he comes, and we see in chapter 6, him and his disciples are walking through a field. They're going on to continue the work in the ministry, and they are a little bit in hunger, and so they break some corn off of the, off the field. And some Pharisees see this, and they say how dare you? you know, that's me paraphrasing a little bit. They see him. They say, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? He responds to them. He talks a little bit about the behavior of conducting himself on the Sabbath. He talks a little bit about this religious work that he's seeing. See, the disciples are doing a work, but the people are doing a work as well. And so often if we're not careful, we can get into the work of church, but we can miss the essence of what God is desiring to share with us. That he loves us, that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, and that as, a, as disciples, as followers of Christ, there is a work for each and every one of us. See, he says this, he says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your soul. So we see this being unfolded in Scripture, and this yoke, this, his teaching, his divine plan. See, we can understand that it's not a heavy or hard work, but it is, it's a beautiful, it's a trusting work. That we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus has taken a moment after all this has happened. He's seeing the disciples walking with him. And he just wants to spend some time with them. And he's thinking on these men. And the Bible says in that verse, 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So one version of scripture says, and he gazed on them. He just took a moment to think about them, to gaze on them, to look at them. Maybe you've done that before with your kids. I remember my boys when they were younger and how I would just be able to, they probably didn't see I was looking at them, but I just was taking a moment, reflecting on him. You ever been there? Just gazed at him. 
Maybe they caught a glimpse of you looking at them. They're like, oh, mom, dad. They got all subconscious. And then you just kissed them on the cheek a little bit more to embarrass them a little bit more. And so Jesus is taking a moment with his disciples. That sweet moment. And he's gazing on them. See, the scripture says they left or forsook all and followed him. See, they left their ships. They left their occupation. And they followed this man, Jesus, to do a greater work. To do a faithful work. But these Pharisees tried to pollute it a little bit. See, if we're not careful, we can start polluting this very thing that God calls wonderful and beautiful. See, David talked about it a little bit. He says how good and precious it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. See, he talked about that unity the work of unity, the work of caring for one another. So Jesus is sharing with his disciples a little bit more. And he says to them in verse 20, Bless be the poor. Jesus uses these word blessed. See, as Christians, we use that term quite a bit. Would you agree? We know how to say Blessed. When I grew up, they used to say it like this, I'm blessed and highly favored. Anybody ever been there? Kind of stomp your foot a little bit. See, we pray God will bless our family. We attribute our undeserved gifts to God's blessings. And we didn't do anything to earn it. That his favor was upon us. And he blessed us mightily. We talk about ministries or the service we do as being blessed. But what does it really mean? How should we understand the blessings of God? See the Greek word that translates that word blessed in these passages means to be fully satisfied. Blessed, to be fully satisfied. It refers to those receiving God's favor regardless of the circumstances. Because sometimes we can be going through something that can be such a hard and difficult time, and if we're not careful, we won't call that blessed. But the very definition, the Greek translation of blessed means to be fully satisfied regardless of the circumstance. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, blessed be ye poor. Fully satisfied are you that are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Let's talk about it. Why is he doing this? 
Why is he taking a moment to just kind of sit down? He's gazing at him. Uh, we see this same passage of Scripture uh, with, with a little different wording in Matthew 5. We attribute it to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that Jesus is sharing, that this is this right attitude, these are the things that you need to have, and that he's speaking on the sermon, giving a Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, fifth chapter. But in the book of Luke, we see a little bit of different where that very first portion, he's speaking directly to the disciples. He gazes upon them. He looks upon them. Before he starts speaking to all of the masses of people, he takes a moment with those disciples. And he shares these words. And so we'd ask the question, what is his purpose for doing that? I believe his purpose is that they would be fulfilled in the work that he's calling them to, that they would continue the work of Christ, that they would fully understand, as the Bible says, in all thy getting, get an understanding, that he's able to shape their attitude and shape their mindset as they enter into this work so they don't have that moment of thinking, this ain't what I signed up for. Anybody ever been there? That you get in there and you realize that, hey, you know, I thought it was one thing, but it ended up being something else. And so Jesus is caring for them. He says, let me share a few thoughts with you. In John, the 14th chapter, verse 12, it says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he also do. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. The emphasis in that passage is he that believeth on me, he that trusts in me, he that depend upon me. No matter what it looks like, no matter what goes on, the works that I do, he do also. And greater. Because even though he goes to his father, he leaves a comforter that will encourage us, speak to us, remind us of who he is, whose we are, and the plan and the purpose that he has for us. So what is he actually saying here? I'm glad you asked that question. Here's the essence of it. I'd like to share four key points as we emphasize this particular reason why. The work of disciples is to be blessed, to be fully satisfied. If there is nothing else that you get, saints of God, when you attribute to that word work, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the essence. To be fully satisfied. See, if you're blessed, no attack, no poverty, no distress on this earth can overcome you, overtake you. Because you are fully satisfied in him. 
That's why the Bible reminds us and talks to us about work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. That we work it out, we get it in check. We separate ourselves from the cares of this world. That makes the word of God of no effect in our lives. That we bind up the yoke of this world and we take on the teachings because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The work of the disciple is to be blessed. Jesus spends some time. He begins in this particular passage of expressing to us how do we go about being fully satisfied. The first thing he tells the disciples to, on how to go about being fully satisfied is to be poor. We remember the rich young ruler. Jesus tried to share that with him, and he didn't want to hear that. To be poor. He said, blessed be ye poor. See, this particular poor here, and we see it in Matthew 5, means to be poor in spirit, to be humble, to be in need of Christ. That we are not our own island. But we are in need of a Savior and a Lord. See, it means that I know that without God, I am not able. I do not have what it takes. I'm in need of him. See, Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 31 says, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. See, there's a reality that we need to understand, that there is still in and of this flesh, there's some sickness in us, and we're in need of a Savior. There should always be a humbled expression of a need for Christ. It also means that there may be times that we're in poverty. See, the reality of it is, is that very few Saints of God, disciples of Christ, get rich monetarily in this life. And most likely, if you are serving the Lord with your whole heart, when you're given, you cheerfully give. You don't hold on to it for yourself. You don't build up bonds. But as God gives cheerfully to us, God gives lovingly to us, we give to others. And so Jesus speaks to his disciples and he's speaking to us. He says, blessed be ye poor that have need, that hunger and thirst after righteousness. That leads to the next point. He goes on to say, blessed are ye who hunger now, that are in hungry, that are in hunger for the word of God. See, hunger is more than just a vague interest. It's an intense desire. See, I know a little bit about that because I have a family member that when they get hangry, they call it hangry. 
hungry, angry. <laughs> it affects how they respond. Just a little bit. I ain't looking at nobody. I'm looking around. A person who is really hungry will almost always seek to be fed. I mean, they're going to go after it. Like his life depends on it. See, hunger is a strong motivation. Would you agree? It produces energy and it drives decisive action. There's been some times that all I could think about was a rodeo burger. I drove right down that road. I ain't cut no corners to get to Burger King so I could get that rodeo burger. It's powerful. So do we desire the sincere milk of the word? Are we hungry? See, Jesus says, blessed are ye who hunger now. In 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See, we're called to hunger and thirst after righteousness, not after the temptations of this world that are fleeting, not after the things that perish, but to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. See, so begin that by saying, Bless, fully satisfied are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, the work is not overcoming all of the obstacles and the tasks, the work is having a need for Christ above a need for ourselves, a need for anything else, having a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, that we work at it. And then Jesus went on to say, blessed are ye that weep now. To weep now. See, I thought about this a little bit. One of the things that I realize that this world is trying to do is this world is trying to desensitize us to every evil and horrible thing that goes along. Saints of God, we should never be removed from the pain and the woes and the sorrow of this world because weeping. Jesus, the most, one of the most powerful scriptures in the, in the whole Bible is just two words. Jesus wept. That it meant something to him to see that people were in anguish and despair. That they sat in darkness that they were in need of light. So much so that it moved him to compassion. And just as Jesus is compassionate about us, we should be compassionate about others. See, the Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us. It compels us. 
when we experience and we feel the love of Christ, we cannot keep it to ourselves. And the perfect love of Christ cast out fear. And so he says, blessed are ye that weep now. That you weep for others, but also there's going to be some trials and tribulations that come upon your life. There's going to be some sorrow. But I'm reminded that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know about you, but some of my highest joyful moments have come out of tears of sorrow. You ever been there? That you've been in such a, 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 a way, in such a just anguish, that all you can say is, Lord, Lord God, help me. Let God be my strong tower. See me through. And God meets us at the very point of our need. And so he reminds us to suffer well and have sincere love for others and care for the pain and suffering of this world. Don't forget about others. But don't forget that God will never forget about you. No matter what you're going through, he's acquainted with all of our sorrows. He loves us so much that God's going to turn it around. He's going to make a way. It ain't going to stay the same. See what the devil meant for your bad, God turns it around for your good. And so Jesus speaks to the disciples. Be poor. Be in hunger. Weep now. But also this, this work that I want you to understand is allow yourself to be hated. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. They'll ostracize you, reproach you, speak evil of you. See, understand that this is a transformative work that occurs when you stop being concerned for yourself and the thoughts of others and what they think about you. See, God allows us to be rubbed by those jagged rocks so it gets to a point that we say, wait a minute, why I keep trusting in this? Why I keep depending on this for my peace and my joy. And we turn to the one who's faithful, the one who's always been there, the one who loves us with an undying love. But we have to get to that point that we're okay with being hated. That we're okay. That's a work. We got to work that out. Because we still get offended by when others offend us. We still get put out when somebody puts something on Facebook. 
we still cringe our nose when somebody, we think they look in a certain way at us. See, Luke 14, 26 says this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Follow me. And the word hate there means to put them first. Prioritize their viewpoint. Doesn't mean we don't care for our family, care for others. But their viewpoint and their opinion is not above God's. And it's so important that we allow that we that you allow yourself not to be the priority and don't allow others to be the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto us. So Jesus came to this point. He said to him, looking upon his disciples, blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. I don't want to hang out with you no more. Something different about you. You ain't the same anymore. And shall reproach you. Get offended by you. And cast out your name as evil. Talk about you like you a part of a cult. Talk about you like something strange and messed up with you. And Jesus says, for the son of man's sake. See, let me explain that. He's saying because of the son of man, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done in your life, you're no longer the same. You've been transformed. You've become a new creation. And the world does not understand that just yet. And so you are a peculiar people. If you proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's something peculiar about you. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, but it's peculiar. In this world, it is strange. Because in this world, love is not unconditional. It's got a whole lot of conditions. But the love of Christ, that agape love, that unconditional love, now has been imparted to you and I. And we get to share it and show it to the world. And so it's going to come under persecution. It's going to come under trials. Ephesians 5.30 says this, For we are members of his body. If they persecuted Jesus Christ, they're going to persecute you. If they were offended by him, they're going to be offended by you. That don't mean we just, you know, now saints of God, you know we can do that, that, that spiritual slapping people, right? And we know that there are certain words we can say that can sting that ain't what he's talking about. 
that we don't mix the truth of God with our desire to, to get back at people. But we understand that the very submitting to the Lord, the very trusting him, the work of transformation, of transforming our life is going to offend. It's going to offend our very family members. You all know that? Because when we come to know the truth, Jesus was talking about something. These disciples were, def- I mean, these Pharisees were offended with him that him and his disciples were picking corn on the Sabbath. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. He said, that's not the work. Dressing up, coming to church, doing all the the right and left things, that's not the work. The work is on the inside. That's the wrong work. The transformation that occurs in you and I is the work. All that other stuff is just to help remind us, keep us focused on the true work, but not to see it as the work. You coming to church, that ain't the work. You being dutiful, that ain't the work. There's some aspects of that, that as you trust the Lord, as you follow him, as you allow him to transform your life, and he transforms our life, we do those good works. For we are his workmanship, called unto good works. So it's Ephesians 5, 30 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So just as Christ offended the people, we're going to offend at times. Just as Christ was persecuted, we're going to be persecuted at times. But remember his love for the body. That he loves you so much. He wanted his disciples, he gazed at him, he wanted them to know that he loved them so much. He told them, bless, you'll be fully satisfied if you do this, if you allow yourself to be poor, if you allow yourself to weep, you allow yourself to be in hunger. And then in verse 23, when all this happens, yes, they're going to persecute you. They're going to come against you. But he says, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So what should be your response to all of this, saints? It should be so radical, so indifferent to this world so unthinkable, unconscionable that people are saying, if, 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 if we treat them this way, we know how they're going to act. They're going to go an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We know if we slap them in the face, they're going to slap, they're going to try to slap us back. Jesus says, rejoice 
and leap for joy. It don't make any sense. Some of you may be saying, Pastor Jeff, I ain't going to let nobody do that to me. <laughs> but Jesus is telling us something here. He said, wait a minute. Don't you know that you know that you know that because of this, your reward is great in heaven? For just like they persecuted you, they persecuted the fathers, they persecuted the prophets before you. You're in good company. So here's the summary of what Jesus is kind of laying out here in Psalm, I mean, Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 20 through 23. It can best be taken this way. Those who are persecuted because they follow Jesus Christ. They may weep at times. They may suffer hunger. And hunger and thirst. They may be in poverty. Need of trusting him and even in this world physically may suffer need. But they will receive direct recompense. Reward. And here's the key part. Not because you suffer. Not because you suffer. But because you follow Jesus Christ. See, so often we can look at that and say, well, I'm going through all this. I'm suffering. I'm doing all this. There better be a reward for me. No. Because we did the work of following Christ. See, I so many times I wanted to follow myself. So many times I wanted to, 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 to follow the way of economics and, 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 and big money. But follow Christ. So I'm going to say it. In him we move and be and breathe and have our being and nothing else. So saints of God, cast it off. Whatever it may be, cast it off. Because Jesus is gazing at you and I. And he said, I love you so much. I don't want just anything for you, but I want the very best. And there's a day coming. And we'll stand before him. He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not for all the work that we did of our hands, but because we were faithful to him. And as we're faithful to him, the works follow. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You followed. You allowed yourself to be led of me. And how I know ways turn you away. You can trust him. He's such a good God. And Jesus Christ is 
ever-present. You know, in every situation, in every trial, whatever you go through, he's there right in the midst. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were threatened with being thrown in the fire. See, their work wasn't to fight against the king or tell him all these things, but it was to trust in the Lord. They tried to get him to stop trusting in the Lord. They said, no, we'll trust him. We'll depend upon him. And as they walked in that fire, Jesus was right there. Waiting for them. Knowing that they could trust him. Whatever you do, saints, trust him. Hold on to his unchanging hand. Let him be the Lord of your life. And I guarantee you, no matter what you go through, no matter what trial or tribulation, you will rejoice with great joy. You'll leap because of the work of, this, of a disciple. is to be satisfied in him. Not in the things of this world, but in him.